Navigating the digital landscape. Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis. I'm not going to talk about doubts and confusion On a night when I can see with my shut I'm not going to talk about doubts and confusion On a night when I can see with my shut I'm not going to talk about doubts and confusion On a night when I can see with my shut I'm not going to talk about it 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 I've never been to Asia. Hashtag on Saturday. And welcome to Sunday Social Show number 213. I could just listen to that song all night. I enjoyed New Zealand Music Month quite a lot. But Scottish Music Month, thank you, the Proclaimers, uh, is off to a rip-roaring start. I'm Vaughan Davis with you right through till 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock on the show that navigates the digital landscape, according to the promo. I'd love you to be part of this high-tech show with a low-tech text. Ooh, say that quickly. 3920 Keyword Live brings that up right here in front of me. You can also tweet me at Vaughan Davis. Later on, later on in the show, she's probably on her way over here right now. Kate Owen, she knows her stuff. She's got a new way to experience David Attenborough, which is basically just to have a cold and talk about hedgehogs. Uh, we've got Where's Wally? Where's Wally for the 21st century? You all remember the infuriating kids' books. We've got the digital version. And big news for online shoppers, but it's not necessarily good. First, though... The Wild West isn't some desert with funny-looking cactuses and bow-legged sheriffs. It's the internet. Well, at least as far as the law is concerned. The problem with the World Wide Web is the first two Ws. It's worldwide. That's great when you're sick of just watching New Zealand cat videos and not so good when you want the protection of local laws when you're dealing with a global company. Rick Shearer is an internet and digital business lawyer and partner at Auckland firm Lowndes Jordan. Welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks, Paul. An internet lawyer, eh? It's, it's, like, it's like suits except with a hoodie. Yeah, you've got to call yourself something. Uh, so that sounded like a good idea to, to call myself. And so tell me what it is you do exactly. So I I, you, do, you do a lot of other things, yeah, but we're going to stick yeah, to this. Yeah, I mean, as they say, law is the second oldest profession, so I'll do anything that people pay me enough for. But uh, my day job, I guess, is around, I guess what I like to think of as pouring old wine into new bottles, and that's a, that's a hoary old quote from, uh, from an internet, internet pioneer. But it's, it's around answering the question when people come to me and say, hey, we'd like to do this and insert your latest internet buzzword there and at the moment that might be blockchain uh, we'd like to do this and in this way and can we do it and if we do do it are we going to get into trouble and what are the laws that pertain to that activity that we want to do because you know if you if you were to go into uh you know the the parliamentary library and go through every 
got jolly law that's been written, I guess the oldest one's probably over 100 years old, you're going to search every page of every act and you're not going to find the word blockchain, are you? Correct. So the idea is that the law adapts either through new statutes, new legislation that comes out, and that, that's quite a long and arduous process, or through court cases that come out, and those come out not that frequently in New Zealand when we're talking about technology developments. They come out a little more frequently overseas. So, yeah, it's trying to adapt old concepts of law around new technologies and that's pretty challenging because a lot of people are pushing a lot of envelopes. So this was, this was sort of brought home uh, in, in, a, in, a, well, in, a, in a small way for my inbox but for a large way globally um, when the other week we were all suddenly inundated with emails by every online company that we had ever dealt with um, and I guess this is an example of other jurisdictions sort of moving in different ways or a bit more quickly than we are. Uh, every internet company would ever dealt with asking us for permission to keep emailing us even more. So this was the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation. Have I got those, That's those right. letters right? That's right. So I'm a New Zealander. My computer's in New Zealand. I live in New Zealand. I pay in New Zealand dollars. So we're in Europe now suddenly. What, what's the GDPR thing all about? Yeah, it was hilarious, wasn't it, that, that we got a whole lot of emails from, from people that, um, in some cases, we'd actually never had any contact with. They, they, for some unknown reason, we'd ended up on their database. And they, they emailed us to say how much they loved us and how the relationship was so important to them. Uh, and the reason that they were, e were emailing us was that they rightly enough, we're concerned not only that they were, might be in breach of the GDPR, but they were actually already in breach of previous laws which said, you need a lawful excuse for keeping me on your database and spamming me on the odd occasion. And so we got a lot of emails which probably weren't actually necessary from some people, but were from others who were already uh, lacked consent for the information they'd already collected about us. So that's, that's what they were doing. Um, quite ironic when you think about the fact that um, they were probably putting themselves in a worse position than they were before because they were effectively admitting that they were already in breach. So, so as a punter, uh, you know, just by ignoring them, I'm, I'm sweet, right? Yeah, I mean... The, unless, unless I want their emails. The, the, the GDPR, uh, I guess, adds to the general flavour of privacy law that we've all been really following since... You know, the 1980s when the OECD came out with a report um, headed up by the preeminent jurist Michael Kirby from Australia actually, uh, came out with a report saying, look, these, these are the principles that we think are important for privacy and trans, transnational data flows. And that got adopted in the EU, then got adopted in other countries, including in New Zealand in our Privacy Act in 1993, uh, 25 years ago almost to the day. Uh, around the privacy principles, principles that, you know, when you collect information, you should ask for proper consent, you should do it lawfully, you should keep it securely, keep it up to date, those sorts of principles. Now, what the GDPR does is it elevates that. And to go right back to your original question, which mm. is um, around what, what on earth are we having to um, respond to a European law, the reason for that is that the GDPR extends itself extraterritorially outside the EU by saying if you are targeting Europe, people in Europe or if you have a presence in Europe, then you need to comply with these laws. So, so that, that brings about the flip side of this. So you know, as a punter, I kind of get it. 
But chances are there are New Zealand businesses, you know, listening that, you know, might have an online retail presence. They might, you know, I don't know, sell New Zealand souvenirs yep. or, or merino jumpers. That would be quite a good thing on, mm-hmm. a, on a day like this. Uh, and they, they sell to people in the EU. What are the implications for New Zealand businesses with European customers? Well, the first really uh, good thing about New Zealand in terms of European law, privacy law, is that we have what's called adequacy status. So we were recognised 10 years or so ago to have privacy law, which was pretty damn good in comparison to most other countries in the world. Mm. Um, And there are only about seven countries who have been accorded this status by the European Commission, which means that we can... The whole world's jealous of our privacy. Oh, absolutely. And it actually is a jewel in our crown and will become more so under GDPR. What it means is that data, personal data, can be transferred to New Zealand without (coughs) massive extra... Uh, consenting requirements hoops and so on, hoops to jump through. But, but, but bottom line, if, if I am that, um, you know, merino um, jumper retailer in Motueka and I've got some, you know, customers in, in the EU, is there anything else I need to do? <coughs> the, answer, the answer to that is yes. Uh, if, I guess, law is never, is never binary, so there's always risk and benefit and how, yep. much, how much you have to comply is, is, a, is a question you really need to assess. But ultimately, if you've got a significant presence targeted into the EU, mm. then you're caught by GDPR and there are extra requirements above and beyond what we have under our privacy law at the moment. We'll get to that issue at the moment that you would need to engage in. In particular, for example, you need to have a representative appointed in the European Union, someone oh, that Europeans... I'm just trying to sell my, my possum skin jumpers ex- Exactly. So, I mean, Europe is known for going to the nth degree in terms of, you know, very specific requirements. And often ridiculed, you know, you're, I'm sorry, your, your, your sausage is too short, yes. your banana is not bending. Yes, that's and, right. And so, so you know, those sorts of things you have to balance the risk against the benefit. Um, it's highly unlikely at this certainly at this stage, that a you know a, a New Zealand business which just happens to be selling a few things into the U- European Union, and has not had a major presence over there, is going to be targeted. Is going by, to have the EU commissioners. The EU know, commissioners. Come, come, come. I mean, EU commissioners themselves are struggling to keep up to get up to speed with the GDPR. So we might have a bit of breathing space. So let, let's just I think there is that, breathing that space. Privacy uh, road a little further, yep. and and I've had it described to me as you know privacy and the internet being two non-intersecting circles on the Venn diagram, <laughs> which which you know is cynical but true. But I actually, I, I would dis, I would disagree with that. I think that um, you know, as some people say, the answer is in the machine. Mm. Um, to quote, I think David Harvey, Judge David Harvey. Yes, that, lovely, um, man. lovely man. And so he's 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 at the Venn diagram intersection of the judiciary and yes. knowing about the internet. Yeah, correct. Uh, and um, well, and actually, former, he's the former judiciary. Well, no, actually, he Judge Harvey is now back on the bench. Is he's he? gone back to the district court, oh, being pulled back. So I I suspect that you could say that, that that raises the average knowledge of internet and technology quite a lot uh, across the judiciary. And that's a good thing. You know, it's great to have a judge of his, his mana back on the bench to be able to supply I should, that. I should get him back on, to, on the radio to talk about it. Absolutely, that, yeah. Quite good absolutely. So, um, yeah, so I think that the... Um, I've lost the track of what that question was, actually. Oh, it, was, it, was really, it was really about the, the principle of privacy and, and I guess, broadly, ethics where they, 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 they hit the internet. And I was thinking yeah. about this the other week when, you know, as a good example of um, the internet perhaps moving a little bit more quickly than the law, 
I think a, called, a lot more quickly. <laughs> a lot more quickly. And they'll all move slowly for good reasons sometimes, right? But but the thing called Google Duplex, and you know, we've talked about this on the show before, and it was the example of an artificially intelligent, uh, you know, a, a voice AI ringing uh, a hair salon, making a booking, and the person at the other end didn't know that it was a robot. Mm, mm. I feel like I've got a right to know if I'm being called by a robot. And the example that you know sprung to mind, if, if Jacinda Ardern was to ring me up, I'd be flattered and I'd be curious. And if she were then to say, you know, we'd like you to, uh, you know, support this referendum, I'd be, I'd be quite well convinced because mm, mm. Jacinda Ardern called me. But what if it wasn't? It could quite easily be an Ardern bot. Mm, mm, mm. Absolutely. And I mean, you, you're starting to, starting to get these and they are very, very good. Uh, some well, of the ones actually, I've had just recently are like, you know, you get on the phone and all of a sudden, hold on, actually, hold on a minute, that, you're, a, you're a bot, aren't you? No answer, of course. Yeah, but, and, but the Ardern uh, bot would be yeah. easy to do because yeah. there's, there's plenty of source plenty material of out there yeah, to, right. to base your, yeah. you know, to, to train up your AI. Yeah. So, I mean, do I have rights? Or has, uh, the law, hasn't the, has the law not quite caught up on that? The law, well, interestingly enough, the the GDPR, if we want to go back to the GDPR, yeah, is not? starting to try to do that in the sense of saying you have a right to prevent automated profiling of you. Not quite the same thing, but yeah, this is the opposite. Starting that, that, to get into to profiling, but the use of um, those sorts of things. Again, is there really any difference between that and getting a whole lot of people? Um, at lower, obviously, cost to to go out and do it do it on your behalf. Well, no, I think there is. The, I think well, there is. I'm not It'd sure that it's if Jacinda Ardern ring me up. And uh, I believed it to be her. If, if you believed it to be her, yeah, I think that's right. And I think you know the law will adapt to that in the sense of you know we have things like the Fair Trading Act and impersonation requirements and so on in our Crimes Act. So that if someone was misled by that, now whether political speech is trade is, a, is an open question, but if someone was misled by that, certainly in a trade environment, that they were persuaded to buy something or to accept services on the basis of, hey, it's... Um, I thought it was her or him. I thought it was, it was the, you know, the, the head of the BNZ ringing me up and saying, hey, by the way, I've given you a special deal. So I want to talk about something a little yeah. bit like that right after the break. So yeah. I'm talking to uh, internet lawyer Rick Shearer. Back. The Internet Explained. It's Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis on Radio Live. And welcome back to Sunday Social. I'm Vaughan Davis with me from law firm Lowndes Jordan, partner Rick Shearer. Welcome back. Hi, Vaughan. Partner. Speaking of the Wild Thank West. Thank you very much. Partner. It's funny because, I mean, I think uh, a, a minister way back when described the internet as the Wild West, and that actually gave rise to one of our... Um, probably world-leading online laws, the Harmful Digital Communications Act, well, uh, which was passed in 2015 and is now fully in force. Yeah, it's interesting, the Harmful Digital Communications Act. You say it's fully enforced. And I, I get the feeling... So this, this, is, this is legislation that gives protection to people who uh, feel they've been harmed by the actions of others on the internet, broadly, mm, broadly speaking. Correct, yeah. I get the feeling, though, um, that not a lot of young people who are often likely to be the victims of this, even though the damn thing exists... That's right. Uh, I think young people have different ways of dealing with these things. That the, I guess the the ability of the crowd to try and sort themselves out, and that's you know not necessarily a bad thing. Mm. Uh, I think as digital immigrants, if that's the horrible description we want to give 
people who are old, older than about 30 would, would give us. Um, we tend to look at some of these things and, and some of these uh, circumstances think, oh my God, how, you know, that's terrible. Mm. The person must have been scarred and, and harmed by that. The, you know, some of the evidence by people like Dana Boyd from Google and so on would suggest that actually there is quite a lot of resilience. Now, there are, there are, of course, always going to be edge cases and we need to deal with those and provide them with a remedy. But I think we need to be careful about saying just because these things are happen, happening, we need to jump down the throat of every single teenager. So there's a danger of criminalising the behaviour. Criminalising the behaviour and also also um, cotton-willing people to the extent that they don't develop their own resilience. So that's, that's important. But, yeah, the Harmful Digital Communications Act is there, both from the criminal sense and the civil sense, to pick up, you know, the more egregious uh, harms that are affected online. And, that's, and it is being used. So jumping about, this is this is one of those wide-ranging yeah. conversations because the internet is big and the law is big, so it's not surprising. Mm. We, we were talking before about you know what what would what would happen if the you know the head of the BNZ rang me up or it was actually an artificial intelligence mm. and talked me into something, but this is already happening. So I can go to a bank site or an insurance site and you know be tappity tapping away, and up might pop this little chatbot, mm. little text-based chatbot. Yeah. Hi, it's Sally here. Yeah, I'm here to help. Well, or, or, or some, you know, um, some witty um, yeah. pun-based name or non-gendered yeah. non name. Um, when I talk to one of these and when it says something to me, is the bank held to that? Are they representing, you know, if I went into a branch and someone says, you know what, you should move your money from this account to that account, I'd go, yeah, great, I'll do that. And then, you know, if it all goes terribly wrong, I'd say, hey, you said this thing and now I'm in the poo. Is the chatbot legally liable in the same way that the employee would oh, be? Oh, I don't have any quest any any question that it would be. Um, you know, the bank has, the bank's provided it, the, the bank is in charge of setting up whatever what the algorithms in the database are that, that develop the answers to that. So, yes, anyone who's providing that sort of service, whether it be through AI or chatbots or anything else, is going to be responsible for it. Um, and, the, you know, the interesting thing about that is to compare to your example of going into the bank and getting a off-the-cuff comment from a teller to say, hey, we, th we think you should invest in this, you'd have to prove that, right? And, you know, it, and might, be a, it's a it he, might be a he, he said, said, she said type scenario, <coughs> whereas in this environment there'll be proof because there'll be logs and there'll be digital footprints and so yeah. on, which is where I come back to that, your point about the two non-intersecting Venn diagrams. I think that, yes, there are, you know, on the, on the, on the internet everything's been collected all the time and there's no privacy, but on the other hand, the old days of no one knew whether you were a dog are gone because there is actually accountability and, and there's and, the, and there's that protection yeah yeah you're being recorded for your own protection <laughs> fun, funnily enough i was at a um we're a, from the government and we had help yeah well on that note i was at a, a tech week event uh recently and there was someone there from a, a chinese um hardware manufacturer mm. not naming names no and he was. We were talking about, you know, the the, the intersection of government policy and technology mm. and the internet and all that sort of things. And he said, well, one of the great things that technology can do is watch over everyone all the time. And he was he was preaching the mm. gospel of 100 million um, mm. surveillance cameras. Mm. Mm. Well, not only that, but I, I, I it, it astounds me. I mean, you you will know the the program Black Mirror. Mm. on Netflix and the uh, the program which was around your social rating mm. and it all that, came true. and in China that's 
apparently coming true. They're, they're actually developing social ratings for people based on their internet presence. And, you know, if you have a high rating, you get a bit of credit score and you'll be able to borrow from the, from the government bank. And if you don't, you won't. Well, you know, take, take again, taking the conversation mm. in a whole other way, we were, we were talking on the show a couple of weeks ago about a, uh, I think, a German furniture retailer of all things that was just doing a very wide-ranging research about where the credit risks lay. Credit risk lies with people who have Android phones. So if you've got an Android phone to access the website, they're mm. less likely to give you credit. Um, credit risk lies with people who have um, outdated uh, email addresses like Hotmail or, the, you know, mm. I guess it would be extra yep. here, though, or iHug, yep. sort of legacy email yep. addresses. Uh, credit risk lies with people who uh, mistype the email address the first time, which you could argue yeah. as an individual, how dare you turn me yeah. down for credit because yeah. I have an Android phone? Yeah. But actually, at a, at, a, at a population level, at a, at a risk management level, it turns out to be true. Well, that's right. And I mean, insurance companies have been doing that for a long, long time, of course. Yeah. Uh, but now they have better tools to do it. And, you know, in a, in a, in a strange way, I suppose, but uh, for want of a better way of addressing these sorts of problems, privacy law is the place where these sort of difficulties and arguments and challenges are being worked through. So, as I mentioned before, the idea of profiling, which is what that is all about, mm. automated profiling, gathering whole lots of information from all sorts of disparate sources, plugging them into a machine, into a black box, and outspits are a ranking. You have a ranking of 4.752, mm. which means that, you know, you get benefits that other people don't, or it's not high enough and you don't get those benefits. And, 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 it's, and it's getting... Uh, you know, it's, it's sort of at the cutting edge of technology and government right at the moment because, you know, Minister Curran, I think, was saying just this week, she was talking about algorithms if, as if they were some sort of, you know, pr a precursor to Skynet. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the use of, particularly, you know, by yeah. previous governments, the use of algorithms to assign social services, which on, you know, there's a strong argument that, you know, if you've got so much money, you want to put it in the best place, you do it in this way. But then you always get the case of, you know, the, the mother in Potorua saying, you know, but me, this, yeah. this is, you know, the algorithm's dumb me out of a house. Yeah, I think, um, so the GDPR has a specific provision on this, which says that you can object to profiling, but also, I, th I think possibly it goes too far mm. because, you know, it's what is profiling, what is automation, well, it's it's happening all around us and we don't want to stop the the flow of innovation and, and good things that come out of that. Mm. But what it also has, which I think is quite useful and which I've actually said in our privacy bill, which is undergoing, uh, Privacy Act undergoing review at the moment, is to say, if I get it, if I see a decision about me which I consider to be adverse to my interests or disadvantages me in some way, I can have that reviewed by a human and I think that's pretty interesting and useful mm. because what it also would mean is that there needs to be transparency around how that algorithm is working. And certainly in the United States, there's been a lot of resistance by commercial interests to say, well, we're not going to tell you. We're going to sell our We're going to tell you how the algorithm works. That's that's our secret source, right? Yeah. But I guess the other thing is, some, you know, some of the more sophisticated ones might be completely beyond our kin. Yes. Well, when you're talking about AI and, you know, the general machine and... Well, the people who own it might not even know how The it people works. who created it go, I wonder how it got that answer. Yeah, it, it's learned who yeah. is the highest credit yeah. risk or who most yeah. deserves the hip yeah. operation, but we don't know quite how it's learned. My God, we have to turn it off because it's starting to swear too much. Well, <laughs> which, which, which is, which which is, is a an real, actual example. A, a, a real-life case. One, one area that artificial intelligence and and the algorithms that support it uh, is, is popping up is kind of close to your heart, and that's the law. 
um, you know, the, the 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 creep of robo advice and, mm. into into law, into financial advice, um, in, into medicine. Well, it kind of crept into medicine in Christchurch, but that just turned out to be a guy in a room with a typewriter. Yeah. So that and was, Ola, he was going to be doing law as well, apparently. Oh, was yeah. he? Yeah. Brian. Uh, Whatever that, his name was. A little like. bit of Brian.ai. <laughs> that, was, that was a little bit of a false start. That was but, applied or something like that. Yeah. It's going to be the law version. So so sitting sitting in your, um, no doubt, opula, opulent uh, corner office at, at your law practice, what's your view of AI and your profession? Oh, I think it's wonderful. Uh, it'll, it'll, it'll take away the what I call sausage making or commodity um, practice which really is too expensive to go to a lawyer for so I mm-hmm. mean there's all sorts of benefits of it It'll, it should um, democratize the availability of legal advice and access to law which is a good thing it should take away the mundane day-to-day drug you know type of law which let's be honest no one really wants to do mm-hmm. and free up lawyers to do what they should be doing which is actually getting to know their clients better understanding where they're going and you know in the areas of the law that i i practice in these things are happening which is a bit more creative and creative and iterative and you know you're trying to work out how on earth does a law from 1963 apply to a new instance of technology i had someone wander into my office today and say um thinking about mining on the moon um how does the how does patent law apply to that? <laughs> yes, Some, something something of a tricky one. Yeah. Um, so maybe flipping it around, if if the if the move of AI into law is inevitable and perhaps happening in certain places, and it is happening mm. in, in certain yeah. you know mundane places as, as as you say, how long do you think before AI will be mandatory? Where, where I will be required, or you will be required as a lawyer, to have included AI in your decision-making before giving me advice that's worth paying for. Well, I think that's a, do you think that point will ever come? Uh, I think it's coming already. I think um, certainly in, uh, in, the, in the US there are requirements in state bars for lawyers to be up to speed with technology. Yeah, that, uh, that's 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 one one that's step. One thing, but it's it's clearly the clearly in terms of saying, well, in, you cannot be a lawyer and provide proper advice these days without without an understanding of technology. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's only a small step from there to be saying, well, there are these services and uh, systems which can be used and should be used, and you need to understand how they work. Now, flipping back to the previous discussion we had around transparency and understanding how the algorithm actually works yeah that is a real challenge knowing why you're giving this yeah because you know you spit you you feed the machine and it spits out an answer well how do you know that are you've given it the right information and i mean one of lawyers in a sense are you know artificial intelligences you feed our, people feed, come into our office and say, I've got a problem, I've got a criminal problem. Yeah. By the time you finish the meeting, it's not a criminal problem, it's something completely different because, of course, they don't know the information that's relevant to the particular legal mm. questions. Yeah. So and that's so the same with AI, you know, rubbish in, rubbish out. Yeah. I think, I think we should come back in 10 years and have this, uh, this whole <laughs> discussion again. Or maybe my AI should, through Google Duplex, just, just phone just talk to mine. your AI yeah. and yeah. Uh, we can just both sit around the and, hall and uh, you know, enjoy ourselves. We can, we can live and breathe on the blockchain and, and uh, money will be taken in and out of our accounts automatically without us knowing about it. It'll be a beautiful It'll thing. It'll be a beautiful thing. Hey, Rick Shira, thank you so much for joining me on Sunday Social. No, no problem. Thanks for
Hey, and you can listen back to that whole entire interview at uh, radiolive.co.nz under shows and Sunday Social or download it as a podcast to listen to at your pleasure. After the break, I'm excited. Kate Owen with the apps, website and internet news of the week. Back soon. It's Sunday Social, an hour dedicated to social media with Vaughan Davis. Welcome back to Sunday Social. I'm Vaughan Davis with you through till 8 o'clock. And Kate Owen, Kate Owen returns to the chair. Welcome back, Kate. Thanks for having me. Sad day, though. Sad week. Sad week. Uh-oh. Why? You a gamer? Ah, oh, this. No, I'm, I'm not, but I have a lot of respect for the industry. I think we should play the music. sad and geeky at the at the same time I think we should just have it playing uh, gently gently mm-hmm. underneath our, our conversation so the the sad sad news well I'm a bit hypocritical here because I've never heard of the guy until now so I'm not that sad I'm, I'm not really sad I'm not really Davis. sad we should take it up market <laughs> do, 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 stop stop that um, a guy called Ted Dabney the co-founder of Atari and um, video game pioneer co-invented Pong uh, died this week at 81. Died this it's a week. good innings, isn't it? It's a pretty good innings. 81? It's a pretty good innings. An interesting guy. So he invented uh, Pong and the big breakthrough with Pong. You ever actually played Pong? Are you too young for Pong? You're too young for Pong. <laughs> oh, well, uh, no, we have. I have played it. You yeah. played some emulator or something. Yeah, probably on a... not the legitimate version of it, but yeah. some version of it. So the original Pong was was like a desktop box the size of a box of chocolates with two knobs on it. You mm-hmm. plugged your TV in and the, and the paddles went up and down. Boop, 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 boop. This is good radio. Yeah, it is. And then sometimes the ball gets stuck in a corner in an endless loop and go... Yes. And that was kind of crazy. Um, but I was reading about him. So cool. They, they invented it and thought, oh, this might go down well. And they put the first Pong in a bar... Well, you know, I've been in a few bars that came with their own pongs anyway. But they got a call back, uh, you know, the next day saying, hey, it doesn't work. It's broken. And the reason it had broken is that it was so popular that the coin hopper was jammed. It was just full of quarters. That's awesome. And the rest is history. So rest in peace, Ted Dabney. This one's for you. It's not really. It's it's for everyone listening. And you're not listening because you're dead. Um Online shopping. You'd be a bit of an online shopper. Or have we little talked bit. about... Yeah, a little bit, a yeah, little, 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 yep. little bit, little bit, little bit. The GST. The GST. That is coming in uh, to New Zealand next year, but Australia currently yeah. is, uh, is interesting. Yeah, so Australia thought, right, well, the, you know, similar thing. So the retail lobby in Australia said, right, government, we demand that you protect our precious retail sector by imposing GST on imports. I didn't know, Kate, the threshold there was $1,000. It seems a little bit high. I've never spent anywhere near that, and I spend a fair amount. Well, ours, ours is four hundred. Yeah. The, the threshold in Australia was a thousand. They said, right, we're going to impose GST on all uh, all imports as of as of next month, and um, so Amazon just went, okay, screw you guys, I'm going ham, basically. Nobody but me got that reference, I think. No, everyone got that reference. It's it's an evening of references. We'll go through and find all the Easter eggs at the end of the show. So. What Amazon has done is said, okay, all you Australians, you can no longer shop at Amazon. You can shop at amazon.com.au, which is basically just local people selling local things to each other. Mm. One-tenth the number of things 
apparently. You know, Amazon really grew off the back of offering a lot of things that weren't available in local markets. And it's how it's really exploded, especially, you know, in, in Australasia. Um, so it's it's a really interesting conundrum because what if you can't get what you're looking for on local versions of those sites? Um, and, you know, this, this is impacting... Uh, Amazon at the moment, but what other websites could be impacted by that? Well, technically, you know, if, if, if the law goes through, and technically, technically it's in consultation to the end of June here in New Zealand, the, the, the Amazon tax, they're already calling it the Amazon tax, uh, it will apply to any online retailer from overseas. But then the, the question becomes, and this is what's driven Amazon's behaviour, why, why should a multinational corporation put all that effort into collecting tax for little old New Zealand? So they go, well, we won't. We just won't. But you're right. It's not. It's not just to avoid paying GST that we shop overseas. It's for wider product range. I mean, I, I you know, r- there's a rule of life. Apparently, never feel sorry for anyone who owns an airplane. <laughs> but I, I buy I buy bits and pieces for my airplane, and it's not like I'm hurting the New Zealand airplane bit industry by by buying through Amazon or eBay or whatever, mm. is it? Well, that's the thing. I I actually support online GST. Uh, I think it's quite important to level the playing field for, you know, Kiwi importers and that as much as possible. But when a comparable item is not available in this country, why can't people get it from overseas? And I don't even mind paying GST on that. And so what is the solution? And, and that's where I think we're at a real uh, tricky point. Because as you, as you rightly said, why would these multinationals want to collect a piddly bit of, of uh, revenue that they can't even uh, have against their name? Well, set, set aside Amazon and look at AliExpress. Have you bought stuff from there? I never have, and I probably should just to see what it's like. I've got bananas on it oh. um, because you can buy some quite low value items incredibly cheaply and invariably it's free shipping which I just can't work out you know you'll buy a $12 item and it'll be shipped from China to here free of charge and yeah. and the GST on that would be you know nine cents I, I did the maths wrong but it just becomes incalculably small and there's oh. an incredibly large network of AliExpress sellers trying to aggregate that oh no do you know what the answer is Tell me. Blockchain, probably. <laughs> That's the answer to everything. Oh, well, the other answer, <coughs> the other answer is this, is this, and this, this is a, a conundrum I can see coming down the track, is you, you shop? Have you? Mm. Have you I have been personally used it. You shop or you send? You shop, you send? Oh, I have to Google it. You know the one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I haven't personally used it. So that's where your mail gets redirected to a holding place and potentially wherever. Well, so Seattle. The, yeah. There is a, there the is a particular address okay. that you give. And I actually looked it up on Google Earth because that's my Seattle address. Ah. But it's just a warehouse. Ah. Well, by sending it there, you can um, reroute some of the stuff that they say they don't ship internationally. And then New Zealand Post will... Uh, pick that up and deliver it to you in New Zealand, which is a great service if you are trying to buy bits and pieces from overseas that, that don't come to New Zealand. So it'll be interesting to see the logistics of how that will work with something like Amazon. Well, the the, the cool thing about it is you could be using an NZ Post service, which I, I just have um, com- confirmed is called Shop, mm-hmm. and using that to circumvent IRD trying to collect the tax, which I think is is rather lovely. Well, I, ca- I think people won't uh, be purchasing at the kind of level where they're like, we have to do some serious tax avoidance here. But I think most of the reason why I know that people use it, and it'll be interesting to see what this is like moving forward, is because Amazon or whoever they're purchasing off doesn't ship internationally. So getting it sent to that hub and then on sent to New Zealand is the way around that. And they're not doing to dodge tax. Just, I would say just... so. Um, certainly the people who I know that use it, and not that that's a 
you know, a, a good a representative slice of it. sample. Well, you know some pretty dodgy people. So if they're, <laughs> not, if they're not avoiding tax, then 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 who is? Yeah. Really. Hey, after the break, the apps and websites of the week you just cannot do without back soon. Welcome back to Sunday Social. Sorry, a bit of silence there while I was watching Sarah and Yasmin grooving, grooving in the booth. Um, yes, indeed, there is a bazillion, a bazillion apps out there, but uh, most of them are rubbish. Luckily, Kate and I have spent the week when we should have been working, uh, trolling the internet to try and find the good stuff, haven't we? Yes. More or less, kind of. Yes. Well, you have. I've mostly just watched what you've been doing. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. It's It's a symbiotic relationship. One of us does the stuff, the other one comments on the stuff. Hmm. So here's the stuff I've been doing. Um, do you remember the Where's Wally books? I loved the Where's Wally books. Did you? They were great. You were of an age. You were clearly just in the sweet spot for Where's Wally. Probably was. But also, uh, we were broke. So, you know, yep. one book, hours of like the kids. There you go, Kate. Okay. I've, I've got a Where's no Wally from the for library. You, but here's a Where's Wally. The problem when you get a Where's Wally from the library is that invariably someone <laughs> cir- circled him. the bloody Wally. Um, not yeah. in this case. So in America, he's called Where's Waldo. So before you go and... I don't know why. I don't, I don't know either. It's one of those things. It's just one of those things of those like things. Fanny Fanny. It's just one of those things that separates us from them. Yep. 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 Let's just yep, move yep. on. Let's yep. just move on. Move on. Um, and what someone has done, I don't know who, someone benevolent, uh, has taken the time to make a Where's Waldo YouTube 3D video. And they've, crazy coincidence, they've walked down a shopping mall I recognise, the sort of outdoor mall in Santa Monica, which I guess is sort of close to where a lot of geeks and so on live, so that's not totally surprising. And they've made this four-minute video. Well, you've, you've seen it. Explain it. Explain yeah. it. So it's a video in 3D, which means you can scroll around if you're on your desktop or you can move around if you're on your mobile, and the video moves with you. So that's pretty cool. You can look around, up, down, sideways. Um, and while the video plays, you see a whole lot of people in stripy tops trying to distract you from the real Waldo or Wally. Just like the real thing. Just There's like a whole lot of people that Except almost... it's moving and you control what you look at. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so there's there's a whole lot of people that almost look like Wally, but uh, only one person that is Wally. And I've spent probably 15 minutes looking at this four-minute video, and I haven't yet seen Wally. Mm. Because you might be looking in the wrong place when he yeah. pokes his head out and, you know, But that's waves. the frustration and the beauty of it, isn't it? It really is. It really is. It, it, it's really cool. So if you just Google, uh, where's Waldo? Sit the kids in front of this, and 15 minutes later, they will still be looking for Wally slash Waldo. In fact... Kids of today, they'll probably Google it and find out where he is and go, look, he's at 2 minutes 42 on the left. There Don't he is. Spoilers. Spoilers. Waldo spoilers. Um, Jurassic World. Now, I know if uh, if David Farrier were here, he'd be all over this. Biggest um, Jess Goldblum and uh, Jeff, Jeff Goldblum and Jurassic World fan there ever was. But there's an augmented reality game come out. Tell me about it. Well, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. It's um, It's a bit like Pokemon Go in that you download the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom game. The movie comes out next week. Oh, I'm not being paid to say that. Hashtag not spawn. Oh, I'm not spawn, exactly. Model zone. And through your smartphone's camera, instead of seeing the benign surroundings you ordinarily live in, unless you live in the mean streets, in which case the mean streets you ordinarily live in, you see all that, but with dinosaurs running around. Oh. 
Well, oh, I've got a glass of water here. If only this was video. This is the perfect accessory to a Jurassic Park spot. Could have been, yeah, yeah. The, the the giant footsteps in the in the glass of water. And the idea is you you scoot around the neighbourhood, find the dinosaurs, and uh, shoot little DNA collecting darts into them. That's awesome. It is quite awesome. I mean, Pokemon Go was so massive. Uh, you know, <coughs> everyone was out playing. Everyone, you know, a lot of people were out there playing it. And so, if they've basically lifted that idea and reskinned it with dinosaurs, they basically have. Do they really basically well. have. The lawyers have told me to say that they haven't, but they <laughs> basically have. Um, I sometimes think that Pokemon Go's doing a bit of a resurgence because you'll see, you know, groups of four or five geeky-looking people, mainly boys, um, in random street corners looking at things through their phones, and I think, and, and that's sort of the hallmark. Yeah. Of that, but I don't know. I'm I'm not up with Pokemon Go. My um, my Pokemon Go high point, which was also coincidentally my parenting high point, was about two years ago, when it came out, and my then fourteen or fifteen year old son convinced me that I should drive him in torrential rain to Western Springs Park, which is muddy even on a good day, to look for a Pikachu, mm-hmm. which turned out to be not there. You know. People complain <coughs> that kids spend too much time on their phones, but actually when they're getting out there and they're running around and they're having fun and it's safe and harmless, I think this is a good thing. It is very good. It yeah. is a very good thing. I was I, I was going to discuss tonight, and, and, and I guess I guess we are now, um, the opposite end of that, which, which is games that keep kids' bums glued to their computer chairs and their eyes glued to the screens, like Fortnite. Fortnite. Have, have, you, have you got friends who are into that? Um, I, I do, and in all honesty, I tried to download it, but it was about eight gigs, and my internet is very sad and slow. Um, hashtag not spawn. Uh, and so I didn't get around to doing it, but the craze is, is it's everywhere. It is absolutely everywhere, and, and, and it's, it's keeping children from their study because secondary yeah. schools have got exams coming up, so have universities. Um, so Fortnite is a, um, what's a, a battle royale genre game where you start, it's, it's like when I shoot them up, you know, um, sort of a mix between Minecraft and one of those first-person shooters, mm. I suppose. Uh, but the twist is you start with 100 people and it just it's down to whoever is left standing at the end. So if you're in the game and you, there's only 13 people left and you're one of them, you're not going to come and do the dishes or eat your dinner while it's hot, are you? No. But there's always something, isn't there? When I was a kid, it was Tamagotchi. You wouldn't put that thing down because it needed feeding. You've got, to, you've got to feed your Tamagotchi. <laughs> so, you know, um, this is just the latest in a long line of things that is... Uh, standing between your children and the dishes. So it's not my bad parenting, eh? It's uh, just the know, technology. I would say your, your bad parenting's probably other things, but uh, Fortnite isn't isn't one of them. Yes, yes. Or that, 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 that cut. That cut Sorry. Um, one thing that is not bad parenting, and this, this actually, this is one of those things that spans the generations, because I was thinking back to when I was 12, 13, and my idea of a good Sunday night was to sit in front of the TV with my hair still wet from the bath and watch David Attenborough have... And listen to this. You might think that having a coat of spines on your back would be something of a handicap when it comes to the intimacies of courtship. And indeed, classical naturalists thought that hedgehogs actually mated belly to belly. The male noses the female's spines, which seems to excite her. Although, as far as he's concerned, it does look rather painful. I've just realised, Kate, that you didn't have the audio for that. So what I'm going to tell you is that I just tonight, here in front of the listening public, fulfilled a lifelong ambition, I think, of 
playing audio narrated by David Embar of Hedgehogs Making Love. <laughs> Look, that guy could um, narrate paint drying and I'd listen to it. He, he, he could read the telephone book. Uh-huh. He, could read the, he could read my show notes and people would listen to it. Whoa, self-burn, self-burn. Nah, he's that good. He, he's just soporific. He just makes you want to, you know, when, when the male hedgehog approaches the female, it's yeah. just absolutely beautiful stuff. Why am I telling you this? Well, uh, because they keep expecting him to die. They keep out bringing things <laughs> to, to, you know, to mark the span of his whole entire career. And the BBC has just brought out an app called Attenborough's Story of Life. It's free. It's got a thousand clips, Kate. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's that's the hedgehog sex plus another 999. Wow. That is an awful lot. Uh, it's brilliant. Oh, it's quite, because you were talking about your slow internet. Yes. So I'd download it um, at someone's work, maybe at your work. Yeah. Um, a thousand clips. It's great on your phone. And honestly, if I, if I were a bus commuter, which I'm not, um, I think I'd, I'd, I'd devote my next 400 bus rides to watching David Attenborough narrate stuff. Yeah. Look, um, discovering good podcasts and good audio um, files is awesome um, because there's just so many, you know. Oh, this is video. That's oh, video as well. Oh, this is video. It's the whole thing. This is video. Wow. Yeah, the, the hedgehog whoopee is is not left to your imagination. You can see it. See it in full technicolour. Yeah. On I your mobile, mobile device. I know, it's a beautiful thing. So it's called Attenborough's Story of Life. A thousand of the greatest wildlife moments ever filmed, including hedgehog whoopee, um, narrated by David Attenborough. Thank you. And good night. Thank you. Well, it is, it is, it is kind of that time. I, I thank you so much. Thank you so much, Kate, for returning oh, to chair. Always good to have you here and uh, dispensing your opinions on my wisdom. <laughs> or next time you can dispense your wisdom. Next time I might read the notes. It's a deal. Yeah. Um, and thank you so much, Rick Shearer from uh, Lounge Jordan in the first half, um, and of course Yaz and Sarah in the booth, expertly twiddling the dials. I'm Vaughan Davis. Nighty night.